um, talk about some of the things that we need to leave behind that aren't so pleasant. And so uh, in this leaving, um, last week we talked about what it means to leave stuff, to leave places, and how there's pain and, and sorrow, and, and yet we have some hope that we, we're going to leave something behind because there's something better ahead. And today I want to talk about leaving some things that just harm us. And to give ourselves a moment to let God do a little bit of examination and help us to do some self-examination of our lives and what kinds of things he might want us to lay aside. I want you to think about this. Um, The idea of leaving things and leaving space is that we would create space that God could occupy in our lives. We're going to make some more room for God to move in and to take up some more of who we are and what we are about. And last week we talked about how we, we don't usually shove God out of the way. We just sort of fill up our lives with other things and then wonder where he went. So this week, this Sunday, I want to think about how we have all put this stuff into our lives. And oftentimes we put stuff into our lives that God really doesn't want there. Some of it he doesn't want there just because it's taking the space he wants. Some of it he doesn't want there because we have picked up stuff that is really dangerous and damaging and over time uh, works its way to destroying us. And um, so I want you to keep this in mind. Those are the kinds of things that we need to leave behind in order for us to move forward with God. There's just some things that are kind of stinky and ugly and... um, we're not very proud of. And some of those things we need to just set behind us and we need to, they're still going to be part of our story and it can be a great story, but they don't need to be part of our ongoing story. We need to write a new chapter. Um, And so I want to ask someone to come up here and help me. I asked him to do this a little earlier in the week um, because I want you to get a glimpse of what this might look like for someone else and maybe you'd relate to that. So Timothy, come up here, please. Um, a lot of you know Tim. Uh, he is our property team leader here. Makes a lot of things look good. In the summertime, he's out on the mower a lot. Um, and I really, really appreciate that he shows up here and uh, helps us fix and repair things. Um, I got to tell my side of Timothy's story just of how we met. Do you remember how we met? Okay, Stephen's going to give you a microphone here in a second. So we had a work day here at the church. We've done this several times over the years where we just had stuff around the property that needed done. And um, <clears throat> I hadn't been here very long. And uh, we had the work day and the Logsdon family showed up. And Timothy showed up and you had your, your motorcycle club jacket on with the cut on the back. And... Um, I just, I, I saw this guy show up here, and I thought, um, either this guy is, and I are going to get along really well, or we're probably going to lock horns at some point. Uh, but he worked so hard. Um, it was hot, and he was out there in his leather jacket, and he was working so hard, and I thought, man, this is amazing. Um, but I could tell that, that um, he wasn't really engaging with us that much. 
He was here to help, but kind of at a distance. That was several years ago. And in the last two or three years, God has done some really cool stuff in your life. Um, so one of the things that I want to point out, because we talk about leaving things behind. Um, Timothy made a decision here a little while ago um, to try to put behind him uh, a habit of smoking cigarettes. And uh, I noticed, uh, somebody pointed out to me that you posted that you were 100 days out. 105 today. 105 today. So when it comes to leaving, so how many years did you smoke? About 25. Here, I'll turn this on for you. Nope, it's on now. About 25. Okay. About 25 years of smoking. You're not that old, man. So like you were three? (laughs) (laughs) I started when I was about 13. 13, wow. Okay, which is kind of common, young teens. Um, that, That was just one of several habits that you've had to process, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's been about four years since I've had a drink of alcohol. Um, ten years since I've gotten to an actual fight, other than, you know, my daughter punching me. <laughs> which I witnessed which, this week. And she took off somewhere. <laughs> so, yeah, I've, I, I fought a lot of demons growing up. Um, I tried to push God away as hard as I could. Didn't want anything to do with him. He was always there, though. Mm. And it was the club, actually, that I hit rock bottom at. And I had nowhere to go. Nobody around. My mm. wife, I know you guys know, she was, she's in paramedic now. She was in paramedic school. She was working third shift. I was working during the day. She would sleep. I would never see her. I was alone. I had nothing. I was staring at a bottle of whiskey. And I was probably... Two years sober at that point, staring at this bottle of whiskey, ready to just forget it all. And I threw it away. And I finally realized I couldn't do it by myself anymore. And when I did that, there was a weight that was just lifted off my shoulders. And I knew the smoking thing was something, you know, a lot of people. My dad included thought the second I accepted Christ, I was going to just quit smoking like that. And I'm thinking, I've given up all my other vices. You know, this is it. This is all I got. And I've got so much stress at work and everything, and this is a nice reliever. And I've never, I can't remember myself without smoking. And so I really needed to see what that was. But it was the fact that I would wake up, get out of bed, and I was out of breath that I decided, okay, yeah, we're done. I got to I got to do something. Mm-hmm. So a lot of prayer, little pills, taking some medicine that's helped, and and uh, yeah, and here we are, 105, plenty to go. So feel a lot better. What's What's amazing to me is it, it's not quitting smoking. Although I think that's fantastic. I think what's amazing to me is the difference I see in you and the way you interact with me and your family and our church people. Um, God's made some other changes where you've made some space for him there that are really, really cool. Right. Yeah, he has. um, Like I said, just just reading. I read everything I can. 
just learning. I ask questions. This guy a lot. Sometimes he can answer. Not all the time. Sometimes he can't. Same with my dad. You know, but he's there. He's always there mm-hmm. for anybody that needs him at any point, any time. Because I went down a dangerous path when I was young. Didn't think you'd ever see me right here. But here I am, through his strength, his glory. That's right. And, And you know this, and some of you know this, but there are a lot of people here praying for you. And when you showed up back here, we're ready to put their arm around you and say right. welcome home. Well, Miss Kay was yeah. one of them. She, she's always been there for me. And I know this guy back here, I know he probably remembers the first time he met me. Do you remember that when I came in and I had my, yeah, different colored hair? <laughs> first time I walked, not this church, over, over off a of maze. First time I walked in there, I had... They were called Nohawks. Instead of a single Mohawk, I had one on each side. One was green, one was red. Walked into this church. I didn't care what any of you guys thought about me. I walked in to say hi to my mom and dad and get something from them, and I left. And They didn't care. They, they didn't treat me any different just because I looked like a punk. And that really meant something to me, which I thought was kind of weird. You know, it's like you always, you know, you hear about these church people, and they're so judgmental. Some, some are. Don't get me wrong, but there's there's some that they know who you are, yeah. regardless of what you look like, and they're going to treat you just like family. And Miss Kay and Bruce, they were mm-hmm. they were one of those. Jared and Stephanie, Gordon, Shirley, mm-hmm. those guys, they've always been there. So I've had a lot of help. A lot yeah. of people didn't turn their backs on me. So. So that brings me to the last thing I wanted to think about. You, you, when you leave something like drinking and a lifestyle that's destructive behind, God's really good about bringing something in His place that's better. Yeah, yeah. He, he brought He brought my wife back to me. Mm-hmm. She got put back on first shift, which made our lives a lot easier. Brought Felicity into my life, mm-hmm. which yes, it sounds bad. I've got three other girls. But this one gave me a reason mm-hmm. that, you know, Trinity stopped me from doing drugs when I had her. You know, the other girls, they were just a blessing. Here we are, you know. But, and then it was Felicity that made me realize that th- this is a life worth living. Amen. Not just being. Yeah. And she's so much fun. I mean, you guys hear. Every she, Sunday. Every night. <laughs> Every night before we go to bed, me and her have to fight. She comes in there, and she'll throw her arms up, fight, and, and we'll wrestle for a little bit. And I'm, it, I never thought I'd be like this. I never thought I'd be a family man. Mm-hmm. Not, not the way I was going. But for some reason, he wouldn't let me make that wrong turn mm-hmm. too much. He let me get in a little trouble, but nothing too bad. Preparing me for where we're at, where yeah. I am. That is so cool. And to help any of you guys, yeah. I've been I've been through some bad stuff. Yeah. You know, I mean, I know I know everybody's gone through stuff, but you know, if anybody has needs to talk anything like that, I'm here to help. 
I, he, he means it too. I'd like to pray with you before I let you go. Lord God, I thank you for Timothy, for the friendship that he and I have. Thank you for Tim and Shelby and their marriage and how you've healed things there and brought them closer together. And, and then uh, for these four beautiful girls in their home that are four beautiful girls in our church now. And uh, God, we just want to say thank you for how uh, you exchange and you replace our bad habits, our bad decisions. When we turn them over to you, you make something beautiful out of them. And I just pray you do that in even greater ways with Tim and Shelby and the rest of the Logston family. Thank you, Lord, for being with them this week. They've had a hard week and uh, a sad week, but uh, uh, Lord, we know that you care and carry us in your name. Amen. Thanks, man. (laughs) We got too many hands full here. All right. Thanks, Timothy. I really appreciate that. When I asked him if he would do that, he just, he was like, yeah, I'll do that. That's pretty intimidating. Um, So, there are things that God wants us to leave behind in order for us to move forward with him. We know that. And in fact, uh, I don't need to put a big list up on the screen of, you know, God doesn't want you to do these things. He doesn't want you to drink. He doesn't want you to smoke. He doesn't, you know, we could have a whole big list there. I think that's rather unnecessary because I have a feeling, I have this belief that God, uh, through the power of his Holy Spirit, is able to tell us those things directly. And when it comes to leaving those things behind, we just needed to recognize that uh, we live in a world that's really messy and bad at times, a, a world that is not friendly and kind all the time. And so there's this need to have things cleaned up because of the, the clutter of the world we live in. And I would just remind you, this isn't a very pleasant thought, but I would just remind you that we live in a filthy place in this world. There are people who do things around us, do things to us that hurt, that don't feel good, that we don't want to have repeated. And they may not even know they've done it. They may not know the, the, the effect that it had. They, they may have had perfectly good motivation, but they just made a bad decision. But on top of that, there are people who actually really get some kind of pleasure out of making life hard, miserable, painful for other people. Things have gotten so twisted and turned that they actually derive meaning in life out of other people's misery. And it's evil. That's the only way I can put it. It's evil. And, and in that process, we see that we live in a world that is not nice when you're in those contexts. Some of you have helped us out a couple times a month when we uh, give out food at the food pantry down at Rivercrest. I was down there Friday night. And uh, it was kind of a slow night, which is good. We take that to mean not as many people are needing help with food. But we had like four or five people that had never come in before. They were first timers. And so we were just meeting them. And every time I meet somebody new there, I'm reminded, here's somebody who's hurting. Because something has happened that has meant that they don't have money for groceries. Maybe they made bad decisions, bought things they shouldn't have bought. 
let their money go into places that didn't belong. Or maybe it's just that they've had a series of things that have left them incapacitated or diminished in life. And so they come in and and some of them, if we were walking down the street, they'd look just like you and me. But some of them don't. If they were walking down the street, we could go, oh yeah, that would be a candidate for the food pantry. I mean, the the way they're dressed, their clothes are worn out, they're dirty. They don't smell good because they haven't had a, a bath or a shower in a while. Or they're, they're out on the street. And, and these people come in and I have to tell you, you have to, there are times I have to make a conscious decision to smile and reach out my hand and say, hey, welcome, you know, I'm Hank, I'm glad you're here. Come on in and get some food. Because... You know, I'm not drawn to that naturally. Naturally, my thing is, ah, yeah, no. Because it just doesn't seem nice. Years ago, a, a class I was taking in grad school, they had us travel into inner city St. Louis, and they took us to this place called St. Patrick's. It's a huge ministry to homeless people in downtown St. Louis, and and um, it's really quite impressive what they do. But they took us in and they said, we're going to eat lunch here. And we went into the, basically the soup line with all these homeless men. And we sat down and I learned a couple of things. I hadn't done much ministry among homeless people up to that point. But I learned things fast. And first of all, I learned that it's really hard to eat sitting with these guys. Because some of these guys were homeless for a long time. And the aroma was pretty stifling. And so we're eating... And, and then it's hard to eat because this isn't like Red Lobster or Olive Garden food. I mean, this was pretty basic, bland stuff. But we're sitting there and we're striking up conversation. And I'm talking to this guy and he's really friendly. And he goes, yeah, you know, he tells me his name. I don't remember his name at this point. But he told me his name and I told him mine. And I told him I was taking a class and... And uh, so, you know, right away he got back at me and he goes, so the only reason you're here is because you've got to get a grade. And I said, well, no, not entirely because I didn't have to take this class. I, I chose to. So I was t- kind of defending myself. And then as, as we were sitting there and we were talking, he started talking about his friend. And he's going on about this guy and he tells me his name and, and uh, you know, my friend and, and we stay together out on the streets and, oh, okay, you know. And I was figuring that at any moment his friend would come and sit at the table with us. Well, a guy walked over and sat down. So I said, are you Romero, the friend? And the guy that came down and sat across from us, he goes, oh, you've heard about Romero too. I go, yeah, he was telling me about Romero. Sorry, I thought you were Romero when you came over. And then the guy across the table goes, really loud and and rather rude, he says, Romero doesn't exist. What? And then the guy sitting next to me I've been talking to, he goes, yes, he does. You just don't see him. And what proceeded was probably round 13 between these two guys because the one guy insisted that his friend Romero was there who probably was not, who was either manufactured or hallucinated or whatever, but these guys, Romero's not there. Yes, Romero's there. And they had this argument. Now, it, it got a little bit heated and not, not to the point where either of them were standing up, but finally one of the people came over and I said, if you guys do this again, I'm throwing you out. 
And I, I sat there just shoveling my soup in, going, I've I got to get out of here. I, I, it just seemed like things have gotten so out of whack here. Over time, these guys, their, their, their mental health has been incapacitated. Their health in general, their physical health was diminished. And I'm just trying to have a conversation with them, and I almost start a war. And I realize that these guys live in a world that is just contaminated all the time by all kinds of stuff. There's alcoholism, there's abuse, there's neglect, there's all kinds of things going on. And I, I found myself saying, as we walked out of there, people were, we were kind of talking about our experiences, and one of the guys turned to me and he goes, what was going on over there? And I go, I don't know, but I want out of here. And as we were walking out, I just said, I am so glad I don't have to deal with this stuff. That's the statement I made. And God just checked me. He just stopped me internally. And I realized that those guys are really not that different than the rest of us. Their filth might be a little bit more apparent. The, the, the damage that the world has done and the damage that they've done to themselves may be a little bit more apparent. But I realized as I was driving home from my class that, you know, there are people in my own congregation that don't have it all together with their mental health. I realized that there were people in my own congregation that have some of the same physical health issues. And I realized that there are people around me that, that seem a lot like them, and they're ready to fight about stuff. And you just go, why in the world are we fighting about this? It's, it's really not going to make a whole lot of difference. And in this world, there's a lot of filth, and the need to clean things out is all around us. And I reminded myself that my natural human tendency is to recoil from that and pull back and withdraw a little bit. I, I'm not going to engage in that stuff. And yet, I was reminded of Scripture as I was driving home from there that has come back to me time and time again, that the light lives in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. The darkness cannot overcome it. So as we talk about the need to clean, I want to go to this passage in Isaiah. This is part of our lectionary reading for today. And just to give you a setup, Isaiah is being called by God. He's being summoned by God. And God says, I want you to do this for me, Isaiah. I want you to speak for me. And Isaiah goes, no way. I am. There's no way I can do this, which is a typical response as well. And he recoils and withdraws from God wanting him to speak to the people of Israel. This is what happens. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim. Those are angels, by the way. So he sees these angels. Each of them having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed, for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. 
And I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. So there's this thing with Isaiah, you know, this this vision that he has. And and I have to tell you, it's, it's kind of weird. We've got these angels with six wings, which now your pictures of angels at Christmas with his two wings doesn't do it anymore. And in the midst of this, things start happening and, and the, the temple is shaking and there's smoke and it's scary. And Isaiah realizes, I'm standing in the presence of God and I do not belong there. I, and he says that this, in this translation, I'm a, I'm a man of filthy lips and I live among people of filthy lips. Now, I don't know, and there's nothing really that tips us off whether Isaiah was just a potty mouth. You know, every time Isaiah went to work on his house, four-letter words just came flying out of his mouth. I doubt that's what Isaiah meant. I have a feeling what Isaiah meant was, I say things that are derogatory and disparaging about the people around me, maybe about God himself. I just, I'm not someone who talks in uplifting ways. I just don't say good things. And so here he's standing and he realizes I don't belong here because I have incriminated myself. I've, I have muddied myself. I am unclean and I am doomed in the old King James. Woe is me for I'm undone. And this is what happens to us when we come to a place where we realize that the things that we've done in the past render us guilty. And shameful. You see, the the things that we've been about, whether they're the things that we've said, the things that we've done, the things that we've thought, those kinds of things push us to the point where when God shows up, we go, "I I don't belong here. I am not fit for this. And it feels more than just uncomfortable. I had an experience when I was a teenager where um, the youth group that we were a part of uh, were planning an event, and they said that it was about Halloween time, and, and the, the word went out that, hey, you know, you should, we should all dress up in costumes for, you know, Halloween kind of stuff. Well, somewhere along the line, another word went out, and they said, you know, we're not going to do that. For whatever reason, I don't know. To this day, I don't know. But I went and I got, you know, I put this whole costume thing together, and um, my sister did it too. And the two of us dressed up and we went up to the event and we got there and we realized everybody else was in regular clothes. I don't remember what I dressed up as, but I sure remember feeling like I look like an idiot. My sister jumped in the car and drove home and got changed. I mean, high school girl, I'm not going to stick out, right? I'm not going to stand out and be weird in that way. So she drove home, put on regular clothes, and drove back. So here I am stuck. She's left me. 
I was so mad at her, I could have I torn her arms off. And she comes back, I go, what did you do? She goes, I went home to get changed. Why didn't you tell me? I don't care. You know, and we just had this little thing. And I go, I want to go home. Take me, I'm not going home. And she proceeded to go in like, ah, no problem. And there I was, and I stuck out, and people went by and they go, why are you dressed like that? And I didn't answer. And I walked home. I left. I, I was so mad. I felt so inappropriate. And I've gone back to that over and over again because I think there are times when we feel like, you know what, when we encounter God, if only somebody had told me God was going to show up, I would have cleaned myself up a little bit. I would have, you know, I would have done the spiritual thing like shaving and showering. You know, I would have, I would have prayed a little bit beforehand, maybe read a little verse of scripture on the way to church. I'd have brought a little bit of money to put in the offering plate. And then when God shows up, I can go, I'm ready, I'm good. And I'll tell you, God does not work that way. He shows up, he, he has this incredibly frustrating tendency to show up when we are the most embarrassed, shamed, humiliated. When we feel like we are a failure. I would love it if God would show up right after I did something really good. Hey, nice for you to be here, Lord. Did you see that sermon I just preached? Pretty good, huh? But instead, God tends to show up when I have been hink at his worst. And all this past guilt, all this stuff, all the inappropriate things, all the things that did not please God that I've welcomed in and shifted in and set down in my life, he sees them. And this is, this is God's timing. So here's the thing. God is able and willing to cleanse us from past guilt, from past sin. He's, he's ready and willing to do that. It's great when we get to come and say, that's, that's me, Lord. That's the mess I've made with my life. Do something with me. And I got to tell you, I am so thankful that in that moment that Timothy said, I looked at that bottle of whiskey, threw it away, and a load was lifted. That is a holy moment. That's a holy moment. And that is not just reserved for him or me. That's something God does in our lives. So he can remove that past guilt. And then the next step that he can do that I think is amazing is he takes away this this twisted stuff inside of us and straightens it back out again. So the stuff that has been bent inside of us and rewired, he undoes. We sing this hymn, I love, and in this hymn there's a line that says, Lord, take away our bent from sinning. You see, we're bent and we're twisted. And when we're bent and we're twisted by sin and the world, it renders us with a lean. You know, we tilt. And where we tilt toward is not God. We tilt toward what is displeasing to God. And something inside of us needs to be rewired and straightened and put back in order so that we are not having that inner bent in that direction but an inner bent toward God. If you want to know more about that, I would suggest you come a week from Thursday night. Uh, This Thursday night we don't have uh, elements, but a week from Thursday night, Dr. Stephen Bruns is coming down and he's talking about 
sanctification and holiness as of the work of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be great. So <clears throat> if you want to hear a really good explanation of that, come and hear him. But that's what God does. So cleaning us up is not just, let's take the, let's take the past stuff and get it out of there. So all those things you did in the past, let's, let's forgive that. But then God goes to work on our hearts and our inner being, and he goes, let's, let's reshape this a little bit, and let's, let's twist this back into something where it was intended to be. And then the third thing about being cleansed, this inner cleansing, is that God takes uh, a hold of the inner pain, the pain that we've held onto or the pain that we've harbored. And he wants to deal with that. So where things have happened to us or things have been done to us and it hurts us, God says, I want to deal with those things. Places where people did things and they just, we, we, we cannot recover that easy. And he wants to deal with our harbored pain and clean that out as well. And that's all part, I think, of the process of this inner cleansing where God says, I want you to let go of things. I want you to let go of your sinful past. I want you to let go of, of your inner bent toward your past. I want you to let go of that pain that you've held on to, that hurt that's been done to you. I want all those things to be cleansed somehow. God wants to deal with all of those. So it's not just the, the inner stuff that God wants to deal with. What's remarkable to me about Isaiah is when Isaiah sees this, he right away goes to his speech. He goes, I'm a man of unclean lips. I've said awful things. I talked about the woman that lives down on the corner. I told everybody what she did. I talk about my boss to my coworkers all the time, even when it's untrue. I mean, that's the kind of stuff I think he was talking about. Was, I just say these things, these things just come out of me. And here he is saying, you know, my conduct, Lord, is not becoming of an emissary of God. And so he's asking God to clean up his conduct. Little does he know that what we do on the outside doesn't get cleansed until something happens on the inside. So what we say and what we do does not get remapped until the inside gets redone. But the truth is that eventually the work of God has to show itself. It's got to get out in our conduct. What happens in our hearts gets out in our conduct. Or the way Jesus said it is, what is inside your heart proceeds from your mouth. That's what Jesus said. Again, with the mouth thing. And so maybe, you know, maybe for some of you, as I say those things, you go, man, I've got to clean up what I talk about. And I, let me just suggest something to you guys, because it's kind of a pet peeve of mine. Maybe we need to clean up what we talk about on social media. I would never say those things in front of Pastor Hank, but on Facebook or Twitter, man, I'll let it fly. And it's what's coming from our heart through the keyboard. The keyboard becomes our mouth. That's just one I'm going to poke at. But here's the thing. God wants us to be freed of this so that we don't carry our own burden that we've created for ourselves. And then I want to take this a step farther. He doesn't want us to carry 
and I'm calling it the crud, because I, I couldn't think of a better word. I mean, I can think of some, but I'm not going to use them where I'd be like Isaiah saying, Lord, you know, I'm a man of unclean lips. But we, we carry this stuff that other people impose on us. We carry things that other people do to us that does us harm. And, and when we do, we tend to start acting like they do. You see, when, when someone slaps you, you might go, wow, well, you know, that hurt. Why did you do that? And we're shocked and it's so out of place. And we would never consider slapping them back or slapping another person. But if, you, if someone slapped you every day, sooner or later, you would turn to somebody else and slap them. Because it becomes normative. It becomes just ordinary in our lives. If this is the kind of conduct we're surrounded by, it becomes the kind of conduct we participate in. And we need to be cleansed. This outside stuff, all this outside influence that comes in and contaminates us that God doesn't really want there. Several years ago, I was at a conference with a group of pastors bunch of holy people, right? And um, one, of the, one of the pastors there was spouting off about something that really bothered him. And he had done this over and over and over again. There was an issue that just, it was, a, it was the issue for him. And every time somebody brought it up, his blood pressure just went up and he, he couldn't help himself. And I was tired of it. And... Um, so he, we were sitting around a table enjoying a great meal and it came up and I was like, oh, here we go. And um, I said something, you know, I sometimes say things that aren't the most appropriate. But he got on this and he goes, I, I'm just, this stuff just upsets me so much. And I finally, I turned to him, I go, we all know that, man. We all know, we've all heard it. And I was, you could tell I was kind of exasperated with him. I was like, okay, you know, move on. And uh, we got up from the meal. He didn't say any more, and he got up from the meal. And, and uh, my friend Ben, <laughs> who's huge. I mean, he's this big, huge guy. And Ben came uh, over to me. We were sharing a room together at the hotel, and we were walking up to our room. And I was still worked up. And, and he said these words to me. He says, hey, Hank, don't be that guy. And I went, which guy? And he goes, Him. He gets mad every time that's, that's brought up. And you're becoming the guy who gets mad every time he gets mad. And I go, yeah, I'm tired of it, man. I'm sick and tired. And he goes, yeah, don't be that guy. And I go, okay, yeah, you know, I've heard it over and over again. I'm going through all this rationalization and I'm, I'm giving him why I, my anger is righteous indignation. And over and over again, as we're walking back to the hotel room, I would say these things, and Ben would go, yeah, Hank, don't be that guy. That was his answer. And, and I was getting to the point where I was getting mad at him. And he goes, well, yeah, you know, and I'd say, but you know, we, we've talked about this umpteen times. It's not going to change. And he just keeps bringing it up, and he goes, Hank, don't be that guy. And finally, I turned to him, and I said, Ben, do you have any better advice for me than that? And he goes, nope. Just don't be that guy. And we went into our room, and then, and then I just, I said, okay, I don't want to be that guy. And so this is what he said. He goes, you know, he's going to test you. 
Before this weekend's over, that's going to come up again. And he's, you know, he's going to get worked up. How are you going to respond, Hank? I sat there in the hotel room with him and we talked about this. He goes, think about it in advance. Hank, don't, don't be that guy. Respond in a different way. And it did. And literally, it, it came up when we were in the car going to the airport. And, and the whole car just went silent because they knew, you know. He got worked up and Hank's going to pound him. And I turned around and I said, Mike, I love you, man. I love you and I'm sorry if I hurt you. And he looked at me and, and for about 10 seconds, his jaw was just slack. And he goes, I, I love you too, Hank. All right. Um, that was it. Craziest advice in the world. So my advice to you is maybe don't be that guy. Here's, here's the way Jesus said it to his followers, when he sent them out, he gave this advice, and this goes back into the Old Testament. This was a Hebrew or a Jewish tradition. He goes, you know, when you go out and you're going out for me and you're telling people about the good news of God, if they reject you, here's what you should do. You should shake the dust off your feet. That was the, the, the custom, the, the cultural tradition, to shake the dust off your feet. And Gary's pointing at his feet. Right there. Leave it. You're exactly right. He's ahead of me. And so Paul then, the Apostle Paul later on, he's going around and he is now the emissary of Jesus and he is sharing the story of Jesus and he experiences this very thing. And so in, uh, in Acts chapter 18, verses 4 through 6, we see this where Paul goes and he goes to these Jewish people. Okay? Each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue trying to convince the Jews and Greeks alike. He's telling them the good news about Jesus, and this is what happens. And after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul spent all of his time preaching the word. He testified to the Jews, who would know about shaking the dust off your feet, he testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when the people opposed and insulted him, I want, to just, I want you to keep that in mind. When people opposed and insulted him, Paul shook the dust from his clothes, his feet, his clothes, he just shook the dust, and he said, your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go preach to the Gentiles. Now, there's all kinds of stuff on the internet of, of pastors and biblical scholars who tell you that, you know, if somebody says, I'm not interested in Jesus, or they're complacent, then you just, ostracize them. That's not what this means. And so I, I would suggest that we take a moment to look at what Paul's going through here. He was opposed and insulted. I mean, these were people who rejected and mocked him. And Paul says, you know, you have just encumbered me with some of your filth. I would, we would put it this way today. These people abused him. And Paul says, I'm not carrying that. Jesus says, don't carry that. When the people around you return the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel, with hateful things and harsh things and ridicule and embarrassing you and mistreating you, don't carry it. 
Knock that dust, that filth off of you. These external things that come in, that people try to bring their own grief, their own godlessness as a response to our story about God, we don't need to carry that. There's no world where God wants us to fight that kind of fire with fire. There's no world where God wants us to sling mud with sinners. He wants us to love them. He wants us to eat with them. That's what he did. But he does not want us to take what they say about him and about us and live with it. And so, if we're going to leave the dirt behind the dust, if we're going to, and if we're going to clean this stuff out, we've got to start by saying, okay, Lord, we need this inner cleansing. We need to take care of this stuff. And I'll just be honest with you. Like Timothy, at times, it's easy, and, and, or it seems easy, and it happens in a moment. I don't think it's ever easy, but it happens in a moment. And at other times, it's stuff we just work on for years. I'm still figuring out what it means to be a good husband. I'm still figuring out what it means to be a good dad and a good son. And so some of this inner stuff, you just got to go, okay, Lord, I want to be cleansed, and I believe you can forgive me for everything in the past. I believe you can uh, remodel and reshape my inner being and... Bring me to a place where I can release the pain and forgive. But I can't do it without the Lord. I can't do that without the Lord. And even greater, when people shoot those arrows at you, throw the dirt, splash the mud, kicking that off requires the Lord's help. So here's our prayer. Lord, help us. To be clean. To be clean. Not because we're better than anyone else and we can tell everybody, man, Northwest Free Methodist, we have got it all together. We, we know better, right? But that we don't have some pathology that's set up camp here among us inside our hearts. Instead, we express love. We express hope. We express joy. We express mercy. Because we've experienced it. And then when the world around goes, oh, you guys are weird. You guys have no idea what real life is like. We're not going to carry that. We're going to kick that dust off and say, no, no, no. We have a story about Jesus Christ that is real and true and powerful. And we're going to go with that. And if you don't want to hear it, that's fine. But somebody out there does. And so Lord, help us and then... You know, um, some politicians had this thing about repeal and replace, and it didn't go so well. But God has an amazing thing about removing the dirt and replacing it with something completely different. That's why I asked Timothy, so when you gave these things up, when you dealt with some of these habits, God brought something else, right? And it was people, maybe even a baby. Some of you are going, don't need that in my life right now, I know. But God has a way of replacing what we are willing to set aside. And I said this last week, I'll say it again. I have yet to see where God's replacement wasn't an upgrade. Where what God brought wasn't better for what, than what we left behind. 
So my friends, I just want to challenge you. We're going to sing a, a pretty rousing song in closing. It's a, it's a song of praise because for some of us, we get to stand here and say, thank you, Lord, that I've been cleansed because I remember what I did and I remember how I felt and I don't carry that anymore. And for some of us, you just go, I need that. Um, even though it's a rousing song, if you think you need that, you're welcome to come up here to the front. We will pray with you. You're welcome to come up to me out in the foyer in the fellowship area, grab me by the arm and say, hey, pastor, can I get a couple minutes of your time? I need to get this cleaned out. And, and, and we'll pray and we'll ask God and we'll look for that to happen. For the rest of us that we go, thank you, Lord, sing with us with whole hearts and loud voices. Stephen, band, come on back up here. And uh, Lord, as we...